Hello and welcome to Blast from the Past in Isolation. This is the podcast which looks the ways that people have changed things in history in however small or astronomical a way that might have been. So each week, as I'm sure you know by now, we chat about a different figure or group from the past and how history might have been different without them and also how they might fit into today. So, Billy, who have we got? Well, I can delightfully say we are once again joined by the soothing tones of Isabel Baldwin, who you may remember from our Frida Kahlo episode, and she's going to do the honour of presenting our guest today. Hi. Hello, thanks for having me again. Pleasure. Um, today we are doing, um, we are looking at Katherine Johnson, the NASA mathematician who was born in West Virginia in 1918 and along with two male students became the first black student to go to uh, graduate school in America and went on to work in 1952 at NASA under the title of Computer, um, who they were the people who worked out the calculations for every major NASA program. Amazing. Blooming great. She sounds like a legend. She also, she got the Medal for Presidential Freedom from Obama as well, isn't it? Which apparently was the highest civic, is the highest civic yeah. honour in America, yeah. which is amazing. Did you guys see the video of that ever? Did you watch it? Yeah. Yeah, it is good. It's amazing, isn't it? He leans forward and gives her a kiss on her cheek, which is so adorable. Great. And um, Billy, you're starting us off today, aren't you? I am. I'm going to get the show on the road, as it were, and look at how the, you know, her trajectory work and the foundations that laid for NASA. So NASA she did and the, and the foundations she laid were huge parts of successful missions, including Alan Shepard and John Glenn. And also um, were part of Apollo 11's Neil Armstrong flight, which is pretty cool. And of course, she's a big, she's a massive figure in racial equality and for getting women involved in STEM. But I think Izzy's touching on that later. And it's kind of with you know, if you think about the extent that she, you know, the extent of her influence at NASA. When she died, one of the NASA administrators, Jim Bridenstine, said, "At NASA, we will never forget her courage and leadership and the milestones we could not have reached without her." And one of the aerospace engineers said she had a big contribution to trajectory design in general. That base engineer is now working the Artemis mission. Sorry, what do we mean by trajectory design? Trajectories are like the, the trajectory of a rocket in space as it takes its flight. Right, so it's like you'll know, so what is it? Like you're given the end point and you have to try and figure out how to get it from the start point. I think essentially, yeah, that's kind of what it boils down to. Although I'm no rocket scientist. <laughs> what? Yeah, I've had that joke loaded since you started planning this episode. I can't, I'm so glad I got to use it so quickly. <laughs> One of the engineers who gave credit to her work is now working on the um, Artemis mission, which is to send a man and woman to, back to the moon in 2020. 24. Oh, wow. But yeah, so her basic tasks were basically calculating the speed, acceleration, and the direction required to lob a spacecraft to hit a moving target. Sounds pretty complex to, to the layman. Yeah, and also, presumably, if you're trying to get, like, a rocket from the Earth to, say, the moon's surface, you've not only got to think about, like the distance and the speed but also the spin of the earth the spin of the moon the gravitational pull of the moon the gravitational pull of the earth like air friction that's mad it's kind of, it's just it is so unfathomable for like us to think about how much like what it takes yeah I, i've been well, struggling with the very basic rudimentary maths puzzles that my uh, road is sending on the new covid19 community whatsapp group and for some reason everyone's obsessed with sending each other maths puzzles now and they're very basic and I struggle with those so have you guys seen the one where it's like a lock and you've got to work out the combination no, that's no. I'll send it to you guys it's a lot of fun kind of a pain in the ass but it's a lot of fun 
as fun as, math, as fun as maths can be, which I evidently for some people was quite fun. I don't know. That's just me. So Catherine Johnson was assigned the dull work that engineers didn't want to do. And as Izzy said, she, she was referred to or employed as a computer. And she just had to trudge through all of these calculations that kind of went on and on that was so important. And NASA historian Bill Barry said that so much of what she did is buried in the mathematical DNA of how to do space flight. And then, you know, if you consider, you know, there's three pretty important people at NASA giving her these accolades. She's like, you know, we didn't really even think about her until Annie said, oh, we should definitely do her. And she had that, you know, she, there was always that movie Hidden Figures, which is a good movie and pays tribute to them. But it's just bizarre how it gets sort of swept by the wayside. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually... I think I'd read about her a few months ago when I was looking at names for this podcast. But then she came back into my memory because she died like at the end of February. So literally like not even two months ago. And she was 101. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a crazy coincidence that she's like still around and perfect. Let's jump on her not quite yet cold body to make her part of my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Um, But yeah, I'm trying to find this quote that I heard that, so when they went, I don't know when computers actually fully became a thing that people started using, but when NASA started using them, you look like you know Izzy. I don't know if we're on about the right, the same thing here, but NASA adopted digital computers in 1958. Oh, see that's quite early, that seems like quite early to me. That's when when they disbanded the colour computer pool, as they called it. to integrate people and started to use digital computers but I think the people that still use them were known as computers they still did a lot of the calculations but also using digital computers too that's mad so apparently even after 1958 when they started using digital computers John Glynn who was the American that was the first American sorry to orbit the earth which he actually did three times I think it was 1962 and Catherine Johnson's calculations were crucial in that he worked with her loads obviously and he said that even after 1958 when the electrical computers would make the calculations he wouldn't trust them unless Catherine had checked them first and he always went via her even once computers became quite mainstream oh my god can you imagine the responsibility and like oh, but if I have a decimal in the wrong place this guy's gonna die yeah it's mad it's mad I mean she, she like her calculations were probably the reason why all of those space exploration things were successful like she was massively relied on when man landed on the moon in 1969 obviously Neil Armstrong is like the face of that but working behind the scenes of that she was really relied on heavily to get all the astronauts back to earth can you imagine if they landed on the moon and then oh sorry they're dead because we didn't have Catherine in the office so Catherine called in sick today so eh. was Neil oh maybe it was all fake <laughs> oh no come on <laughs> just I'm just throwing it out there in case we have any you know interested listeners I mean I don't think it's fake I'm almost certain it wasn't fake but I knew this would be brought up and I knew it would be him that brought it up it would be interesting to see what someone like Elon Musk like has to say you know what if she was a particular hero of his you know how, how important he feels just like you know the leaders of space travel today it would be interesting to see there yeah I would have thought someone like Brian Cox our city's very own legend who I love would probably say that she was great but I get the sense that Elon Musk I feel like he's not like the kind of man who'd look to a 97 year old african-american woman and be like she's my hero I mean, yeah look i mean i haven't read it i don't know much about elon musk personally I mean, maybe i don't know <laughs> i also don't know <laughs> anyway little move on was that so billy that was a fascinating That's me, and i think you are 
up next. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, that's laid a really, really nice little foundation stone. So you there were saying, you know, why she was so important for NASA and NASA's work during the 50s and 60s. And so I thought it'd be really interesting to look at the kind of more long lasting effect of space exploration in the 20th century. So if we kind of take it as a given, which I think maybe we can, that Catherine Johnson was really crucial to the success of all of those missions. I think it's really interesting to think about how potentially life now might be different in terms of technology and things if we hadn't had, you know, all of those space exploration missions. So I've definitely, at some point in my life, thought, you know, why are we so obsessed with exploring space? Is it necessary? It costs so much money. I feel like there could be more things. Oh, we seem to have lost it. Uh, well, we'll continue. <laughs> yes, really. It's funny you say, why is everyone so interested in space? You know my friend Graham who commented on my Facebook thing and left a review for us and everything? Yes. You might remember. And so he's a massive Elon Musk fan, massive space. Now, I hope he's listening to this as well. Hi, Graham. I, I always have this massive debate with him. Like, why doesn't Elon Musk just spend his money exploring the bottom of the ocean and then we know everything about Earth and then move on to space? Because you can kind of answer it. One, it's Elon Musk money. He can do what he wants. But also, like, with Graham, you can kind of answer it, but you can't really answer it. It's always been kind of fun. That's really interesting. I guess the answer is that... Oh, Izzy, you've rejoined us. Welcome. Welcome back to the Zoom meeting. <laughs> It should be okay now, I've switched Wi-Fi. That's okay. We're all, you know, we're all here for you. So in your absence, Billy just posed a very interesting question that his friend brought up, which was... My friend's a big Elon Musk fan, and I ask, I say to him, just more to annoy him than anything else, why doesn't Elon Musk just explore the ocean first, get that done, and then go to space? Because you can finish doing the ocean, kind of, to an extent. You can't really finish doing space. So I was looking up NASA's budget, and this year, can anyone give me a little guess what they think in dollars? NASA's budget is for 2020. I've read, I've read your section on the Google Docs, so I'm not going to guess. <laughs> um, uh, it's got to be in the billions. Yeah. Like, I don't know, 18, 20 billion. I mean, yeah, I've never doubted your intelligence, Izzy, but um, I'm kind of wishing that you'd get that really out to make this dr- more dramatic, but actually you were really accurate. It's $22.6 billion this year that's been put aside for it. And then for next year, I think it's going to go up to in the region of $25 billion. Um, that's still only something like 1% or even less than 1% of America's general spendings on stuff, but it's still in itself an enormous amount of money. And I've definitely thought, you know, could we spend that in better ways? But then having watched a few documentaries and, and stuff with Brian Cox, he's so passionate about space exploration and the long lasting and short term benefits that it gives us that, I don't know, kind of put me around a little bit and there's definitely an an enormous list of things that it gives us and that the space exploration missions of you know 1961 1962 1969 that Catherine Johnson was so crucial to the success of without those life today would look really different apart from the fact that you know shooting humans into space and looking down at the earth gives us in a bit more of like a hippie symbolic way a different outlook on the world and probably makes us see that we're not the dog's bollocks and that we're not infinite and that we should probably look after environment and stuff that's a given and I can't you probably can't even start quantifying the value that that has in our everyday but just with more kind of definitive things things that's 
space exploration has given us you know we wouldn't really have any understanding at all of meteorology weather satellites we wouldn't be able to predict what the weather was doing tomorrow we wouldn't have tvs we wouldn't be able to have kind of international communication i think probably it's really crucial in our understanding of geography tectonic plates how history of the world geology how all of that has formed i read this really nice quote kind of about the hippie symbolic thing that i mentioned before by this woman called marina benjamin who wrote a book on space exploration and she said the impact of seeing the earth from space focused our energies on the home planet in unprecedented ways dramatically affecting our relationship to the natural world and our appreciation of the greater community of mankind and prompting a revolution in our understanding of the earth as a living system which i thought was really nice and so yeah as i said before i think it's just really fascinating to think how those things would look completely different probably if Catherine Johnson hadn't been working behind the scenes obviously it's you know being a bit generalistic and it's quite hard to say as always whether someone else would have stepped in and done it but I think her like prowess and it's so obvious hearing all these quotes from people about how amazing her mathematical brain was it seems unlikely it would have been done with such skill and with such reliability like i think she just had it spot on every single time it's also funny because interesting because you the intelligence that she you know had was one thing and then also the forcefulness and the content of her character to be so forthwith yeah and outspoken with and determined to do it is you kind of need both of those for her to fit that role because you can imagine one person having one and not the other and vice versa so it's amazing that she was those two fusions of what she needed to be that role definitely um, so the age-old question of our podcast but would someone else have done what they did it's like our oldest question it's a good question a relevant question it is a good um, question but also as a little end point as a little caveat she did all of that whilst bossing it as a person who was bringing up three children she had two husbands her first husband died uh she did remarry but i watched a little video with her with two of her kids and they were like our mum instilled in us the most amazing work ethic she just thought that you should be doing what you can do for everyone all the time and it's a pleasure to do what you can for other people and she made all of our clothes she always cooked the most amazing meals she said i watched this little interview with Catherine johnson and she said I can't understand kids who don't want to do anything they just want to sit that's not right they should always be interested in something so I just like she's just got this whole amazing home life going on as well at the same time which she somehow managed to boss whilst being the first African-American woman to be working in NASA to be like whilst bossing that and like she we're not just taking her on the credit of being the first African-American woman like to be tokenistic about it she was at like she was at the top of the pyramid as well mm. <laughs> so yeah there we go. Awesome. Well, thank you, Anna, for your wonderful insight, as ever. You're very welcome, Billy. Thank you for being here. Well, you know, I like to be, I come here often. So, and Izzy, what have you got for us? Well, building on what you guys have said, like, obviously, she was amazing. She did all these amazing calculations that without them, men wouldn't have been able to get back from the moon, back from space. But what amazes me is not the fact that she just did this, but she also did it while suffering racial and gender-based discrimination within NASA, within, well, every aspect of her life during that time. Obviously, um, being born when she was in 1918 and when she lived her life, she was, um, it's the fact that she... Mate, we've lost you. Sorry. Sorry, we just lost you for a long while. Yeah. Wait, I'm sure you'll come back. Just give it a second. Time out. <laughs> oh. And uh, she's gone. Oh, oh she's back. No. Oh, she's back again. Yay. Still frozen, though. Isolation problems. It's what you get being in a house full of people. Well, <laughs> if it helps you, you froze on a very lovely picture of yourself. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Where was I even up to? Oh yeah, so facing massive discrimination, the segregation laws were still in effect in America, but what got to me the most was the fact that she faced this discrimination but wasn't even recognised for the work she did or isn't even really heard of um, until the past few years. She was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama, but that wasn't until 2015. And then, of course, there was the um, 2016 Hollywood film, Hidden Figures, which I think really catapulted her and her cohort to fame. With Janelle Monet, who is my biggest celebrity crush? Uh-huh. Yeah, and Taraji P. Henson, also a great actress. I definitely hadn't heard of her until the film. And I I remember watching the film and thinking, why the hell do I not know who this is? Or like, that they've done this work. And I imagine I wasn't the only one. So that really baffled me. And I think we talk a lot on this podcast about people who have overcome obstacles because of their gender, race, or sexuality. But a lot of the time we talk about the work they've done to overcome that obstacles and the fight they've done, the protests, whatever might it be. And obviously that's very important. What really struck me though about Katherine Johnson is the fact that she was never protesting her discrimination. She never actually fought against it. The way she went about it was she just got up every day and did her job the way that she saw her job. Like that's how she even said she was like, I just got up and did my job. By doing that, she's left this legacy of excellence that has just opened pathways for women and people of colour within, not just within STEM, but within all workplaces, I think, uh, in all aspects of society. So I said, obviously, she worked as one of the computers in NASA, but black women during the time at NASA faced a double segregation. So They had to work in a separate office. They had separate dining and bathroom facilities. They were kept separate from the white women who also worked as mathematicians. And then further still, these white women were kept separate from the male mathematicians. So there was that double segregation. You had women separated and then the black women from the white women. But their work, the fact that they just carried on, they did their work, that um, won them a level of acceptance that for the most part transcended race and I think really started this pathway of race and gender being irrelevant within work that you should be you should be awarded merit just on the basis of your work not on the basis of your gender your race or your sexuality whatever that may be well what was really interesting which I what I don't quite understand is that she was enrolled at NASA it was like Was it 1952? Yeah, 1952. She was enrolled in a special programme that was specifically for African-American women, wasn't it, to to start working for them? So I don't quite understand that. Was that like a... That can't have been a positive discrimination thing. That must have been just that they thought that they were so... That must have been also a form of kind of crapping on them because they were like, we're going to give them the the worst job, we're going to give them our computer jobs, which no one else wants, right? It was probably like trying to build a talent pool without trying to make a statement. So it was like, oh, look, we're as the every episode of crap in America and its previous governments. And I'm going to do so again. But in a very like typical American fashion, oh, we're like doing something, but like we're not actually doing anything, which is the American way. So Mm -hmm. it kind of seems like it's like, oh, we've got this like great program at NASA for black women. And then it's like, you're just doing the work no one else wants to do. And also you get treated badly still. And also you don't get your names or anything. But Mm -hmm. you're, you're involved. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, it's also, it's basically also a form of patronising. 
that that's what it struck to me is like oh yeah well we, we kind of need you and we'll give you something but you know we'll just brush you off to the side that's very much how it, how it seems to me but then again she saw it differently I think she said um in 2010 that NASA was a very professional organization and she said they didn't have time to be concerned about what color I was and she said she never actually felt inferior. She said, I'm as good as anybody, but no better. So I found that really interesting that when I was first reading about it, that was my thought being like, oh, I must have felt like you were being patronized and you must have felt inferior. But again, this is what is amazing about Katherine Johnson. She didn't feel like that. She saw she was given a chance. She had a job and she got on and did it to the best of her ability which to me was struck me as just really interesting and really powerful. But as we touched on before, Anna, with disbanding the coloured computing pool, so it was starting to be more desegregated within NASA, society's discrimination against women hadn't ended. So as I've said, she suffered that double discrimination. And actually, interestingly, in the early days of NASA, women weren't allowed to put their names on reports. So no woman in Katherine Johnson's division had had her name on a report until this very interesting little story that she said I was working with Ted Skabinski and he wanted to leave and go to Houston but Henry Pearson our supervisor wasn't a fan of women kept pushing him to finish the report we were working on finally Ted told him Catherine should finish the report. She's done most of the work anyway. So Ted left Pearson with no choice and Catherine finished the report and her name went on it. And that was the first time a woman in her division had had a name on any report. Wow. That's mad. And also she didn't even push it, as you said before. It wasn't even her who pushed it. It was someone else who stepped and said she should be getting the the credit for this. Yeah, which was like really, really cool. Again, and it's so Catherine Johnson that she did this amazing thing. The first woman to get her name on a report in NASA. And she didn't even like go, oh, like she didn't kiss up, kick up her first. She didn't moan. She didn't complain. She just carried on doing her job to the best ability. And someone finally recognized her work and said, I'm going to admit she's just as good as me she can finish this job just as well as me which is good although she did say about being a woman in NASA she said we needed to be assertive as women in those days assertive and aggressive and the degree to which we had to be that way depended on where you were I had to be so again it was getting that balance between being a woman and saying like she said earlier that she didn't feel inferior because she knew she could do as good a job as anybody and it was just asserting that and being confident in yourself and that's what I really like about her that she's showing that women can be confident and assertive in the work that they're doing without coming across like they're acting better than anybody else that they're just doing the job that they can do better than a man as good as a man sorry and to the best of their ability yeah absolutely absolutely yeah there are a number of um people who I watched a little video that NASA actually put together for her kind of obituary when she died and it was just shots and shots and shots of women uh, working in NASA now some of them were white some of them weren't most of them weren't white they were saying you know she she's the reason I have a job at NASA now and if that's not just because she laid the foundations for like more policy making that have enabled me to be part of this world if not that 
then definitely in terms of me having a role model when I was growing up and thinking that it was worth me even trying for it because I had this person who I knew had managed it before me. And it wasn't even her work at NASA that overcame this gender-based and especially racial discrimination. She was one of three African-Americans to be the first to attend West Virginia University and she was the only female uh, amongst those three so she yeah blazed a trail basically through West Virginia and when she desegregated the university in 1940 and her quest for education chipped away at the um, racial caste uh, system in America that I think almost stifled the African-Americans academic pursuits and that she was also amongst the vanguard of black students at predominantly white institutions who started that push for inclusion and equality which we still see that fight happening today I think not only in America but here as well so I think it's really interesting that she has this complete legacy of fighting against discrimination just by living her life basically and like you said earlier as well the fact that she was a mother of three that she got married that she didn't actually even complete her education at the university she left the university before she graduated to start her family to get married and then she accomplished all these things that I think a lot of the time this idea that people say still even today oh well women can't do their job as well if they've got a family if they're going to raise children and she just proves that's absolutely not true you can overcome and your gender or your racial discrimination to do your job as best as you could but also have a very successful life amazing gosh she's she's blowing great isn't she okay so what do we think about so izzy i guess going straight back at you to our last two questions of the old pond do you think Firstly, well, I guess it's kind of irrelevant to say how would she fit in today. Maybe it's not actually. How would she fit into NASA's or the the greater science STEM world today? There's still, you know, she'd still face incredible discrimination, wouldn't she? Even hundred years after she was born. I think she would. Obviously, not as much as she did back in the day. Um, but then again, I think what I've read about Catherine and the impression I get about her is that it wouldn't even faze her, that she would be exactly the same today as she was then. Whatever major projects NASA is working on now, I don't know what next crazy thing they're working on, whether we're going to be on Mars in a few years, I have no idea. But whatever they've got cooking, she would be definitely working on it and she would just be doing her job, which isn't, to me, an amazing job. I can never do any of that, like calculations or anything. But she would just be doing it and living her life and she wouldn't even realise the impact she'd be having. Something I actually realised, so with going to the first question that we always ask, how would life today be different? Something I actually forgot to mention in my little bit that's really interesting is obviously the whole context of the time was the cold war in the ussr versus capitalist america west that's why it's called the space race right so the 60s mm-hmm. were mad it was just building up to who was going to get on the moon first and obviously as we know america managed it first 1969 but in the early 60s especially there were loads of firsts so like the first person in in orbit was actually done by the ussr the first woman in space was actually the ussr the first dog the first living mammal was actually the ussr and so also it's just really interesting to think how potentially the cold war and relations with the ussr and now russia might be slightly different if she hadn't essentially been massively responsible for making all of those missions so successful it's so hot i mean as with every single person would do but her in obviously in a very unique way more so than anyone else it's so hard to think about i think it's also because it's hard 
to know the true extent of where like her actions ended, the, imp- the impact, like the ripple effect of her actions ended. It's hard to know how wide that goes, right? Because you never sort of know that ripple effect was something so big that, as you say, could have shaped the global history from for 40, 50 years. I think it would be so different. Our timeline would have followed such a different route. I mean, what if Russia got there first? But anyways, that's, yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's one of the more difficult ones to think about, I think, her than, than say, Muhammad Ali or the Beatles. You know, she's one of the more difficult ones to what if we didn't go to the moon then how stunted would human development be definitely yeah oh really fascinating guys thank you so much i really enjoyed that thank you for being our guest once again izzy no thank you very much for having me (laughs) we're all so polite in isolation (laughs) (laughs) what do you do for the rest of your isolation day isabel baldwin I think for the rest of today, I'm just going to chill, read a book, maybe get in the garden. I was at the pharmacy this morning and that was crazy. Hell on her. Hell on her. (laughs) All right. Thank you to everyone who's listening in. You're great for listening and hope you're staying sane. And we will see you next week. And I love you. Yeah.